Welcome. You are listening to sermon audio from Day 3 Church in Granite Falls, North Carolina. We invite you to join us online or in person for one of our services. For more information about our church, please visit day3church.org. Day 3 Church, experience a new day in your life. Good morning. We're doing a series in uh, honor of Father's Day on the way uh, that we've entitled Calling All Men. And as I mentioned each week, that doesn't mean everyone else put your mind in neutral and think there's nothing for you. Because I think in this series, there's uh, a lot of lessons that we can uh, learn and apply to our lives. Uh, we're doing a, a little bit of a character study on uh, Abram's life, Abraham's life, uh, and not covering the full uh, gamut of his life, but pulling out some components that I felt like had some really uh, needful topics for us to look at uh, as we're in this series. Uh, his name, of course, was Abram to begin with, and God uh, changed his name. We're told that in uh, Genesis 17, I think it is. Uh, next slide, Greg. Uh, uh, no, no longer shall your name be called Abram, which uh, meant high father. Uh, instead, he's going to call his name Abraham, for I've made uh, you a father of a multitude of nations. Abraham meaning uh, a father of many. Uh, father of many nations, and we get that even in the in the verse that's said there. So I thought with Abram meaning uh, high father, and uh, with Abraham meaning the father of a multitude, he would be a good example for us to look at as we thought about Father's Day and we talked to men uh, in this series. We start out the series with the topic of take your family with you by faith. Um, Abram heard God. Uh, his call to leave Ur of the Chaldees and uh, follow uh, God's leadership to a place he didn't even know where he was going. Uh, that takes a huge amount of faith to uh, listen to this God that you've never heard anything about uh, in the area that you lived in because you grew up worshiping idols. That's what he did in the area that he lived, and yet he responds by faith, and he sets out to follow after God. Uh, I would suggest that we take our families with us as we follow God, guys. That's the, the point that we were making. Last week, I talked about build your altar. Uh, it's rather evident in Abraham's life that when he moved from place to place, uh, he would build an altar. And when he failed to do that, he got into trouble. When you see, he did not build an altar. That's why this group of rocks is up here on the stage uh, left over. Uh, and it's not for me to throw at you unless you fall asleep while I'm preaching. I may ding one your way uh, or, or whatever. But uh, what it is, uh, we challenged the men last Sunday during the invitation to come up and take a rock home with them to remind them, uh, put in a conspicuous place in your home uh, to remind you that you need to build your altar at home. You need to be leading worship in your home, uh, prayer in your home, Bible study uh, in your home. So uh, if you were not here last Sunday, we're going to leave that up here till the end of the series. And if you were not here last Sunday during the invitation, uh, I want to encourage you to come up and grab one of these rocks and take it home just to remind you, set it where you'll see it, that you need to be reading the Bible, you need to be praying, and you need to be leading your family spiritually. What we're going to talk about this week is this, stake your claim. Uh, stake your claim. Uh, a lot of you have heard that phrase before, maybe uh, someone talking about a gold mine or a silver mine or something like that, staking uh, their claim. Uh, well, what we're going to talk about today is staking claims in life. And we're going to see something in the story about Abraham and Lot to where they kind of uh, chose uh, a claim, uh, chose where they were going to raise their families, chose where they were going to uh, take their livestock. 
uh, and, and things like that. And uh, I think it's a pretty important message for us because there are consequences that happen when we state claims in life. And I want you to listen up today uh, because we're going to kind of walk through several verses, not do as much exposition maybe as I, I do it sometimes. But I want you to see uh, four huge lessons, four very important lessons that we can get from Abraham and Lot that ought to help us stake the right claims uh, in our lives, the claims that God will want us uh, to, to stake. And we'll be uh, reading uh, those verses as we go through the, through the message today in, in Genesis 13, verse uh, 5 through uh, 18 will be the passage that we're looking at. So uh, let's talk about these huge lessons that I think we can find in this story uh, about Abraham. Uh, lesson number one uh, is, is this. Lesson number one is, is simply that we need to stake our claims in life by being peacemakers. Uh, stake your claim by being a peacemaker. We can face a lot of friction and problems and issues in life, and it's really easy for us, instead of trying to be a peacemaker, just to go the opposite direction and, uh, you know, even cause more friction and, and, and more disarray uh, in our lives and relationships. But what we need to strive at is trying to be uh, a peacemaker, and we'll see that in Abraham's life. Look at verse 5 uh, through 8 with me. And the Bible says, And Lot, who went with Abraham, and Lot was his nephew, uh, also had flocks and herds and tents. <laughs> so that the land could not support both of them dwelling together. For their possessions were so great that they could not dwell together. And there was strife. There was a, a, an argument uh, that happened between them. There was strife uh, that, that happened uh, between the herdsmen of Abraham's livestock and the herdsmen of Lot's livestock. And this next statement almost seems out of place, but it, it will not be, I think, whenever we get to it and I talk about it. But in the middle of, of the Bible, talking about this strife that's happening between uh, Abram and Lot, we're given this, I think it's in verse 7, it says, at, the, at that time, the Canaanites and the Perizzites were dwelling in the land. And that seems to have nothing to do with what's being said, but, but I think it will, and I think you'll understand in, in a moment. Uh, Abram said to Lot, let there be no strife between you and me, in between your herdsmen and my herdsmen, for they were kinsmen. Uh, last week, in, in part of the message, we saw that Abram, without seeming to check things out with God, when a famine hit the land, decided to go down into Egypt. And we're told that when he left Egypt, he also left with even more wealth and possessions than he had before. And evidently, Lot experienced that also in his life. It had more wealth and possessions as they were leaving out uh, from Egypt. There's this contest, though, because of all these possessions that they had, all the livestock that they had, that developed this contest, this, uh, uh, the root word means to toss or to grapple or to wrangle or to uh, hold a controversy or to defend. Uh, this situation takes place between the, the herdsmen of Abraham and the herdsmen of, of Lot. Uh, so the issue more or less is this. They've got so many livestock, they're having an issue trying to find uh, enough grass, enough place where they can take their livestock to have water and, and to feed the livestock. So what ensued was this argument, this friction, even maybe a battle, uh, that took place between those herdsmen of Abram and the herdsmen uh, of Lot. Uh, so we see a friction take place within a family because it was an uncle and a nephew because of possessions. I, I, I wish I could say over the years that I've been in the ministry, I've never seen this happen, but regrettably possessions lead to family problems sometimes. 
it, it can start out with, with, with children, little innocent children playing, and, and one grabs the toy away and screams, mine, and the other one starts crying. And, and then it can develop even more tragically later on in life when someone dies. And then there's an inheritance being dispensed out and people be jealous over who gets what and everything like that. And you have all kinds of relational things that can hit. It's a sad thing, guys, when we allow possessions and stuff to be more important, you know, than the relationships that we have with people. And I just think we can learn some lessons as we see how Abram tried to, to fix this problem, some major lessons as we look at this peacemaker approach that Abram uses to resolve this strife that was happening within his own family. Here's lesson number one. Lesson number one is simply this. Abram deals very directly by going and talking to Lot. Notice a parenthetical statement. Instead of talking about Lot. And he takes steps to be a peacemaker. I would submit to you one of the biggest things that can cause friction in relationships, relationships with your friends, relationships with your co-workers, relationships with your family, relationships at church, is when you decide to talk about somebody instead of talking to someone. Because the Bible clearly tells us that we're supposed to go to someone if we've got an issue with them and try and resolve it in that way. And we see this modeled here in the Old Testament, even before it's made an issue in the New Testament, that Abram decides to go directly to Lot and to try and settle this issue. He goes and talks to him instead of talking about him. And he's seeking to bring a resolution to the situation and, and to bring peace to it because he says, let's not have any strife between you and me. Uh, when, when he uses some words there, the, the word let not means let's not even let it exist uh, whatsoever. Uh, Abram, who we saw a moment ago, means high father. He takes some fatherly steps that we can learn from. And he said to his nephew Lot, and the word said in the Hebrew means to say with great emphasis or with great latitude. He, he said, let not even exist this strife, this quarreling, uh, this provocation. Uh, don't let that take place between us because we're kinsmen. Uh, and we're, we're brethren, we're brothers is what the word means. So you see this peacemaking effort of Abram is pretty clear. He's saying, listen, because we're kinsmen, because we're kin people, let's take steps to be sure this doesn't happen. Let's not allow this friction to take place at all. Jesus said this in Matthew chapter 5 and verse 9, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God. And the, the word that he uses there for blessing means supremely blessed, fortunate, well off. The opposite of it is true, and we've probably experienced that. If we try to do something other than be a peacemaker, you're not going to be very fortunate or well off because instead things get worse, amen? If we don't try to be a peacemaker, if we just try to cause problem and try to make the divide even larger, uh, it doesn't cause you to feel like you're well off. He said to be a peacemaker, to, to make peace, to pacify, to be peaceable. If you look at the root word, it means the same thing as where it talks about us as sinners when we are saved by God's grace, being brought back together in a relationship with God. See, you might could say this, because we have experienced peace ourselves with God, we need to strive to be peacemakers with other people, especially with our own family members. And you see Abraham give us a clear example of that. Here's a second lesson we can learn from this part of the story this morning. Don't let your possessions be more important than your relations. Don't let your possessions, don't let stuff be more important to you than people. Don't let possessions be more important to you than relationships. 
Because those things will just disappear one day anyway. Don't hold on to things so tightly that, that we allow stuff, that we allow possessions to make it to the point that we can't even dwell together. The Bible said, for their possessions were so great, they could not dwell together. God forbid that we would allow our focus on stuff, our material focus, our focus on possessions to be more important to us than relationships with other people. That we would get to the point that we can't even dwell with someone. We don't even want to be around somebody else because of this possession of, of issues. We shouldn't allow that to happen in our relationships and lives with others. Third lesson we can get is this. There is an enemy to fight. I'm not saying that we don't ever need to have friction at all, or there's never any conflict or spiritual warfare or battles taking place in our lives, but I'm saying you need to focus on the right battle. I told you a moment ago, it seems strange to me in the middle of this story about Abram being a peacemaker, about Abram trying to work out this relationship with himself uh, and, his, and his nephew because of the friction that's existing. Right in the middle of that, we're told that the Canaanites and the Parasites were dwelling in the land. The Canaanites, the word, root word really means humiliate. The Parasites mean rustic. They live in the open countryside. I guess they were the rednecks of that day or something. I don't know. But, but the point I'm trying to make is this. There, there was an enemy to fight in the land. Abram and his herdsmen didn't need to be fighting with Lot's herdsmen. Lot and his herdsmen didn't need to be fighting with Abraham's herdsmen. Instead, there was another enemy in the land that they should have been fighting with. Because, you see, God was giving this land to Abram and to his descendants in the future, and that means the Canaanites and the Perizzites are going to be pushed out. They're going to have to leave because God promised that land to Abraham. And instead of them claiming territory and focusing on the right warfare that they should have been involved with, you find this little petty Friction taking place, this battle taking place between family over where they can take their crops. You, you see, the lesson we need to learn from that is this, folks. We have an enemy still yet in this day and time. My enemy is not you. Our enemy is not another church somewhere. We're not in competition with other churches. Our enemy is not our brothers and sisters, whether it be in Christ or whether it just be your relatives. That's not our enemy. There is an enemy who wants to keep us, though, from taking the territory over. There is an enemy whose name is Satan that we need to be doing warfare against. That's where our battle is. And a lot of people don't see that. They get sidetracked arguing and fussing among themselves as churches fussing with each other. Christians arguing and debating things with each other when we need to recognize that that's not our enemy. You're not our enemy. Other churches, other Christians are not our enemy. Satan is the enemy. And that's where we need to focus our energy in the warfare and the attack that we're involved in, not fight with each other. So there is an enemy that we need to fight, but it's not ourselves. Those are some pretty important lessons, I think, relationally, don't you think so? Learn to talk to other people instead of talk about them. Recognize that you're stuff your possessions aren't more important than the relationships you have with people and understand there is a battle that we need to be fighting second main lesson this morning is this as we look at this story of abraham and lot as we stake our claims in life we claim our territory our our part in life we need to stake our claim with charity and humility with charity with love 
in humility. Here's what Abram tells Lot. Is not the whole land before you. Separate yourself from me. If you take the left hand, then I'll go to the right. Or if you take the right hand, then I'll go to the left. Now think about that just for a moment. Who did God call to leave Ur, the Chaldees, to go to this land to begin with? Abram. So Abram could have very easily been a little bit dogmatic about things and say, hey, Lot, God didn't call you to come here. God called me to come here. So, Lot, if you're going to cause trouble, you can go off somewhere because this is territory that God has given me. But instead of being condescending uncle to his nephew, we see exactly the opposite. What we see is this. We see Abram coming to Lot and saying, listen, Lot, here's what I'm going to do. Out of love for you, out of humility, I'm going to allow you to choose first. You look up all across this land and you choose whatever you want. And then I will take whatever's left over. Instead of him putting himself first, instead of Abram being selfish and saying, listen, Lot, I'm going to take this and you can have the leftovers. Instead of acting like that, he allows his nephew to look first and choose out of all that land. And then Abram says, I will go the other way. Not that he wanted to go the other way. Don't read something into it that's not there. It's not that he hated Lot now and didn't want to be around him. He rescues Lot a little bit later on in the story of Abraham and Lot. When he's carried away uh, by, by this king and, and by an army, they come in and carry Lot away. And Abram goes to rescue him. It's not that he disliked him. It's not that he hated him. But he's simply out of charity, I think, in humility, saying, hey, you choose first. And, and, and then I'll take something else. See, there's lessons for us to learn there also about humility in our own life. For there's lessons for us to, to, to learn and apply to our own lives when it comes to humility. In the New Testament, let me show you about three passages of Scripture real quick. In Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1 through 3, I therefore, a prisoner of the Lord, Paul's writing to these believers at Ephesus, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called. Now, in other words, basically what he tells them is this. You've been called to follow Christ. You need to live in a way that looks like you're following Christ. That's what he's telling them. Live your life in a way that looks like in a manner worthy of the calling you've been called. With all humility and gentleness, with, man, I wish that word wasn't there. <laughs> Patience. See, that's maybe my pet peeve. I can get frustrated a lot about things, impatient about things. But that word's there whether I like it or not, whether you like it or not. Bearing with one another in love. Eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. You see, we see Abram practicing that before the Holy Spirit ever told Paul to write it down and send it in a letter to believers in Ephesus. Keep looking at another passage. Philippians chapter 2, verse 3 and 4. Do nothing from rivalry or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Abram told Lot, you choose first. I'll let you go first. You choose first out of the land. Let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also to the interest of, what's the last word? Others. William 
Booth, who started the Salvation Army years ago. Later on in, in, in years, they would have like an annual convention every year. But later on in, in years when his health was declining, he couldn't go to the annual convention every year. But he would wire to them a message, a little note, a word of encouragement, a focus point uh, for their conference. One year he was feeling bad, feeling very poorly, and he couldn't go to the conference. And that year he wired to them one word. Can you guess what the word was? Others. That's all he said. Man, isn't that a powerful statement about what the Salvation Army should have been about or what we as a church ought to be about? We need to be about others instead of being so selfish and self-centered upon ourselves. We also find this in the New Testament, Colossians chapter 3. Put all men as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassion, kindness, humility, meekness, and there's that word again, <laughs> patience. Bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other. And then notice this huge command. Forgiving each other as what? As the Lord has forgiven you. Guys, I don't know about you, but God forgave me of a whole lot of stuff. And we need to remember that. You need to rem remind yourself of that. Don't go around like goody two-shoes like you've never done anything wrong. You need to remember that you're saved by the grace of God. All of us are sinners. All of us deserve separation from God for all eternity. But God saved us by his grace. He has forgiven us. And we need to practice forgiveness toward other people. So you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love. That Look what love does. Which binds everything together in perfect harmony. So there's a huge lesson here that we can learn from the way Abram responds to Lot. When he practices charity and humility, instead of, instead of Abram choosing for himself and putting himself first, he allowed Lot to choose first. As we state claims in our own life, as we try and claim territory in our life, we need to do so by practicing love and humility. Don't be stepping on other people as you try and make your way through life. Instead, you need to practice love and humility as you deal with other people. And since this series, by the way, men, is entitled Calling All Men, we need to especially focus on, on us showing charity and love and humility. You want to know why? Because men have a huge problem doing that. It's difficult because of the way we're wired and our nature sometimes to clearly communicate charity and love and humility. And that's why we need to work on doing so and follow the example of Abram. Third lesson I want you to learn from Abram's story today is this. Stake your claim considering the consequences. As you stake claims in life, consider the ultimate consequences in your life. Verse 10 through 13, And Lot lifted up his eyes and saw that the Jordan Valley was well watered everywhere like the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt. I think that being put in there lets us know that maybe Lot was impacted in the time that they were in Egypt in a really negative way because he's just looking at the way the world would view things. In the direction of Zoar, notice this little parenthetical statement. This was before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. Park that in your mind. We'll come back to it in a moment. So Lot chose for himself all the Jordan Valley. All of it. Oh, you, you're letting me choose first. I want to get all the best for myself. 
See, his attitude is completely opposite of what Abram's was. He chose all the Jordan Valley, and Lot journeyed east. Thus they separated from each other. Abram settled in the land of Canaan, while Lot settled among the cities of the valley, and notice this, moved his tent as far as Sodom. What did we just read a minute ago? That parenthetical statement. This is before God had destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. Now the men of Sodom were wicked, great sinners against the Lord. The Bible tells us that Lot looked up, I think, with just natural humanistic eyes instead of spiritual insight. The only thing he saw was something that looked good to him. And he decided to choose that. And he pitches his tent over near Sodom, not thinking about the consequences, not thinking about the potential influence upon his family. He just saw something with his eyes and he thought, man, I think that'd be a good place to raise my crops. That would be a great place to raise my livestock. That would be a great place for me to take my family. Look at the water there. Look at, the, at this vast Jordan Valley. Look at the grass that's there. He just kind of looked with naturalistic eyes, and he didn't really look down the road to what the ultimate consequences might would be. You see, as we stake our claims in life, we need to consider, uh, consider that. We need to consider the ultimate consequences in life. We have to look beyond the immediate attractive thing. Because the world wants to put a lot of things out before us. Satan wants to put a lot of things out and display it in front of us to where we think, man, that really looks good. Just as we look at it with humanistic eyes. We need to look beyond just the immediate attraction of whatever it is. And we need to look down the road to where our choices might lead us. As we're staking our claims in life, we need to be future thinking and have that type of mindset, especially as fathers, because here's why. The choices that we make as dads, it's going to affect more than you. It's going to affect your family. That's why we need to be able to look further down the road and ask ourselves, if I choose this in my life, if I stake my lot in life here, if I stake my claim here, what will the ultimate consequences be somewhere down the road? We think about what happened with Lot. The Bible tells us he looked up and he saw this lush watered valley. I found a quote by Robert Smith, this way Robert South uh, rather this week, and here's what the quote says. Covetousness is both the beginning and the end of the devil's alphabet. He said the first vice in corrupt nature that moves. In other words, because of what we covet, that makes us choose things that we shouldn't choose. And he says, and it's the last which dies. Even as a believer, that covetousness is hard to get over. It's one of the last parts of our, of our fleshly nature that dies. I read a moment ago that Lot went eastward. Now, you'd have to look at the map. And remember, if you were here last week, what I, what I mentioned to you. Abram went and he pitched his tent. And he had to go beyond this place called Ai. And the name means ruin. Lot chooses to go back in the direction of ruin. 
He, he chooses to leave from the place that he was with Abram. And as he goes east, he's heading toward this place that means ruin. And he experienced a lot more ruin in his life, I think, than he anticipated. Keep thinking about the story of Lot for a moment, and, and you'll discover this. When you pick up the next verse that we're told much about Lot, in chapter 14 and verse 12, we find these words. They also took Lot, the son of Abram's brother, who was dwelling in Sodom, in his possessions and went their way. That's talking about when he was carried away and Abram had to go rescue him. A little bit later in chapter 19, we find this. Two angels came to Sodom in the evening. God has sent them there to destroy the city because of the wickedness of the cities. Two angels came to Sodom by evening, in the evening, and Lot was setting in the gate of Sodom. Are you tracking what's happening here in his life? He chose this well-watered valley, and he pitched his tent near Sodom. The next thing you know, he's living in Sodom because when this invading army comes in, they carry him away. He's not living in his tent near Sodom. He's moved into the city, and he's living in the midst of that sinful culture. He's carried away. Abram rescues him. He goes back to Sodom. And the next time we find Lot, he's not just living in Sodom. He's sitting in the gate. Now, some of you may not recognize the significance of that, but in biblical times, a person sitting in the gate was like a leader in the city and even a judge in the city who was looked at as someone with wisdom. So here's the scenario. He just looked out and he thought, man, this would be a great place to raise my family. And he pitches his tent kindly somewhere near Sodom. The next step you see, he's living in Sodom. The next step beyond that, he's a leader in the gate of the city in Sodom. Do you see the negative progression that takes place? The two angels were coming in, as I said a moment ago, to, to, to destroy the city of Sodom and Gomorrah because it said the men there were exceedingly sinful. And if you will be honest with the scriptures, I know people in this day and time try to explain it away. And they try to make excuses and everything else. But if you're honest with what the scriptures say, you have to recognize that the men in that city were being judged because of sexual sin that was taking place within the city. To give evidence of that, when these two angels come to Lot, Lot takes them into his house to spend the night. Other men in the city had seen these two strangers come into Lot's house. They show up that night, and they begin knocking on the door and yelling out to Lot to bring those two men out that they might know them. Now, the, the word know there doesn't mean, hey, I want to shake your hand and ask what your name is. And the reason I say that, because in Genesis, when it tells us using the exact same word, Adam knew Eve, what happened? She conceived. Only problem is there's not going to be a conception take place because it's against nature what they're wanting to do. It's against what God's original plan was, so there wouldn't be any conception take place. But it shows you the simple nature of the city. What they wanted to do that night was have those two men brought out to them where they could commit homosexual acts upon them and probably rape them out there in the street all night long. 
Here's Lot's solution. He tells them, and you can read the story. I don't have time to read all the verses today, but you can read it. I'm telling you the truth. He tells them, don't do this. Instead, let me bring out my two virgin daughters, my two daughters that have never been with a man. Let me bring them out, and you can have your way with them. My goodness. You see the ultimate consequence? You see the tragic consequences that took place? He just thought, man, that looks like a good place to raise my family. I think I'm going to choose that. And he moves his family near Sodom, and then he moves into Sodom, and then he's a leader in the gate in Sodom, and it relegates all the way down to where he is willing to allow his two daughters to be raped by a crowd that night out in the streets so he can protect these two angels that God has sent there. Now, that didn't happen because the angels smote the people with blindness to where they couldn't see. And the angels told Lot, go get your family. If you've got any more family here, get out of the city. Don't look back because the city is going to be destroyed. But can I suggest to you that when Lot first made that decision to choose what looked attractive to him, he never would have thought it would have led him to the place that he was willing to let his own daughters be raped. Guys, is that setting in with you? I had two daughters and a son. And I'm sorry, but if you try to rape my daughters, you're not going to like the other side of me that I still have down inside of me somewhere where I spent 10 years in law enforcement. You're not going to like what you see. How in the world? And you might be thinking, man, Lot must have been lost. No, he wasn't. We'll see at the end of the message that Peter in the New Testament tells us he was righteous. How can a righteous person be so impacted by the negative sinful culture that they live in that they're willing to let their own daughters be raped? That's why I'm telling you, we we need to stake our claims in life, recognizing what the ultimate consequences can be. Don't just grab hold of something and stake your life there because it looks attractive, because it looks tempting, because there might be ultimate consequences that, that you don't even know can take place that we see Lot facing in his life. We, we have to consider the consequences of of the claims that we stake in our life, where we take our family, where we lead our, our, our family. We saw already in Abram's story that Abraham was looking for a city whose builder was God. He was looking with spiritual eyes. Lot was looking for a city whose builders happened to be a bunch of sinners, sinful men. Big contrast between the two. Guys, that ought to tell us where our focus ought to be. Because the wrong choices can destroy our lives and destroy our families. 
Lot lost his testimony because of the way he had lived his life in Sodom to where he couldn't even convince his own son-in-laws to follow him out of the city. Well, what are, you, what are you talking about, Lot? You've lived here all these years. You know the way the people were. And you're telling us the same, some God you never told us about before? Has sent two angels that's going to destroy the city and you want us to believe you and follow you out of the city? And they laughed him to scorn because he had blew his testimony. He never thought when he pitched his tent toward Sodom that he would lose his dear wife because the angel said, don't look back toward the city. But she had to look back one last longful look back toward the city. And the Bible says she was turned into a pillar of salt. You say, preacher, you believe that? Yes, I do, because God said it in the Bible. He didn't plan on that happening when he just pitched his tent toward Sodom. That's why we need to be careful about the consequences of the choices that we make in life. Main lesson number four. Staking your claim by trusting in God is always best. Staking your claim by trusting in God is always the best choice for you. The Lord said to Abram, after Lot had separated from him, lift up your eyes and look from the place where you are, northward and southward and eastward and westward, for all the land that you see I will give to you and your offspring forever. I will make your offspring as the dust of the earth, so that if one can count the dust of the earth, your offspring also can be counted. Arise and walk through the length and the breadth of the land, for I will give it to you. So Abram moved his tent, and he came and settled by the oaks of Mambri, which are Hebron, and there he built another altar. I want you to notice some things about those verses, and then we're going to close. The Bible clearly said after Lot had left, after he'd separated himself, after Abram had allowed him to make the choice, in charity and humility, Trying to be a peacemaker, he said, Lot, you choose whatever you want, and I'll take the rest. I'll take the other. Right after that happened, did you see what God told Abram? He said, Abram, I want you to look as far as you can see this way, and I want you to look as far as you can see that way, and I want you to look as far as you can see in that direction, and I want you to look as far as you can see there, and guess what? It's all still yours. It's all still going to belong to your family one day. It all still will belong to your offspring. In other words, he didn't lose anything by putting God first. He didn't lose anything by being a peacemaker. He didn't lose anything by practicing charity and humility. He didn't lose anything at all by allowing Lot to choose first. Instead, God told him this, because you've been trusting in me, it's still all going to be yours. See, Abram had trusted God to leave Ur the Chaldees. He had trusted God enough to leave Haran and keep going on the journey. He had trusted God when God said, I'm going to make a mighty nation out of you. And now, even though he's given something up, it looks like he's given up the best choice, God is more or less telling Abram, don't worry about that because you are trusting in me and I'm going to give it all to you anyway. Amen? That's why trusting in God is always best. That's why we need to stake our claim by faith with God. It looked like he had lost something, but he didn't really lose anything. He also told him this, 
He said, I want you to look. He told Abraham to look. But then he said, I want you to rise up and walk. You see, that's really a picture of what true faith is all about. We need to have the faith to look, but we need to have the faith to pick up our feet and walk and claim the territory that God has given us. And that's exactly kind of what God is telling Abram. He's saying, I understand you feel like you just gave all that to Lot, but guess what? It's still going to be yours, and I want you by faith to walk through the land like you own it all because you are going to own it all. I want you to walk through it by faith and see and survey all this territory that I will give you. I want you to stake your claim by having faith in me. And then he built the altar that I talked about a moment ago. He built it in Mambri, which means vigor. At the Oaks of Mambri, that was near Hebron. And the word Hebron means seat of association. I think God intended for things in some of these names in the Bible to have some spiritual significance. It sounds like to me that Abram, with vigor, continued on his faith journey and he built another altar. And by building that altar, it shows that he's in association with God, in a seat of association with God as he worships God. Here's a little principle for you. Don't worry about what appears to be lost in this life. Trust God for your future. Instead of you trying to manipulate things and you trying to control your future yourself, trust God for your future. Allow Him to lead you into your future. In the New Testament, the reason I want to point this out, I think there are a lot of times that people will think, well, yeah, but that story's in the Old Testament. What about the New Testament? In the New Testament, the Holy Spirit of God inspired the Apostle Peter to write about Lot and about Sodom and Gomorrah. And we find these words, if by turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah to ashes, he condemned them to extinction, making them an example of what is going to happen to the ungodly. And if he rescued righteous Lot, if, we, if, if that wasn't in the Bible, we'd wonder if Lot really even knew God at all. Can I give you a little bit of hope there in case you feel like someone's made a lot of, you're someone's made a lot of bad choices in your life? None of us are perfect. And we all make mistakes. But if you know Christ as your Savior, by the grace of God, you've been made righteous. He said, if he rescued righteous Lot, greatly distressed by the sensual conduct of the wicked. And then look at this parenthetical statement. For as that righteous man lived among them day after day, he was tormenting his righteous soul over their lawless deeds that he saw and heard. Think about that. He moved into Sodom. He knew better than what was taking place. But he was living in that culture, and every day he was having his righteous soul vexed by what was taking place around him. We've not chosen to necessarily go live in Sodom, but I'm afraid the church has been quiet for too long. And we've allowed things to develop in our culture that we should have been vocal about. 
And we have allowed a very, very small minority to, to push their agenda and push their rights. While we have acted dumb to it as though we didn't know what God had to say. My soul is vexed a lot. It's yours. As you read the news, as you see what's happening in our own land, the changes that have taken place, and a vast majority of people who know much better are keeping their mouths shut, and we're, we're, we're allowing, I'm not trying to be political, guys, I'm just being biblical with you. And we're allowing our culture to be transformed by a small minority. And I understand we tend to do it because the way Hollywood is painted and the liberal news media is painted because we don't want to be branded as a bunch of bigots and hateful people. But listen, you can stand for the truth and do so in a right way, in a loving way, and be honest with people. I, I, I know you don't, don't want to be called that, but I, I, I've experienced that. I, I mean, during the, during the marriage uh, when we had the vote on that in North Carolina, the marriage amendment. I didn't try and attack people. I did try and tell people the truth, but it didn't matter how kindly I said it. I'm just an old bigot, an old hateful bigot. I want you to understand something. I don't hate gay people. I don't hate homosexuals. Jesus loved them and died for them on the cross as much as anyone else. But the Bible says it's a sin. It's an abomination to God. And just to illustrate, we've had some people that that come that wrestle with those tendencies and sometimes they'll come for months and and I've actually taken them out to eat sometimes and try and help them and try and you know, try and, you know, not treat them different than I would anyone else because I think that's what God wants me to, to do and Jesus wants me to do. But then when push comes to shove and it finally comes to the point where they say, what do you think the Bible says about it? I have to say it's a sin. Did you see what God did to Sodom and Gomorrah? And it said he did it as an example of what will happen to the ungodly still yet. We, we live in a culture, our nation, and people living in our nation, we need to wake up to the fact that God says it's wrong, and we need to tell people it's wrong, not in a judgmental, negative way, but we need to tell them in a way that, that we're telling them because we love them. Because here's the deal, if I don't tell them the truth, and if they don't come under conviction and turn to Christ, they're going to be like the people in Sodom and Gomorrah. And they're going to suffer for all eternity. I I don't want to see that happen. You don't want to see it happen. That's what the Bible says will take place. So you and me telling people the truth, we're really being their best friend. Whether they want it or not, whether they like it or not, we're being their best friend. And I'm just telling you, we're getting more and more in a time that we better be willing to speak up and say what we know God says is right. Because if we continue to think, well, we just need to be, you know, touchy-feely and be very careful what we say because we don't want to offend anybody. Do you recognize the Bible says the preaching of the cross causes offense and is a stumbling block? 
But if we're just trying to be touchy-feely, we don't want to offend anybody, and, and we'll just keep doing like we're doing, guess what? America's gone down the tubes. You can bet that. It's time for Christians in the right way, in the church in the right way, to say what is right. And be willing to stand up and tell people what's right, no matter how they treat you, no matter what they say to you, no matter how they ostracize you. It really comes down to this. Are are, are you going to stand for God or not? Stand for God. Instead of hiding our faith, we need to be vocal. We've allowed everybody else to be vocal. And they want us to be quiet. We need to be vocal about our faith and what the Bible says. We need to learn some lessons that we've talked about today from Abraham. We need to stake the right claims in life. We need to be peacemakers in our relationships with other people. You can be a peacemaker and still be honest with them and tell them the truth. Do it in the right way. We need to practice charity and humility in our relationships as we deal with other people. We, We need to be sure that we look at the ultimate consequence down the road of the choices that we're making, the, the, the claims we stake in life. You need to think about where it might lead. And we need to recognize trusting God is always the best thing to do. Let's pray. Father, forgive us for being quiet for way too long as a church. Help us to be willing to convey the truth, to stand for the truth in the world that we live in and do it in the right way, in a way that shows compassion and concern, not hatred and bigotry. Father, help us to be peacemakers. And it's hard to be many times. Because we have to swallow our pride. We have to practice humility and charity and love toward others. God, especially since we're talking about men and fathers, as we work toward Father's Day in this series, God, help us as men to make the right choices, understanding there are very serious consequences for our family. And as we do that, sometimes if we feel like we've lost something, Help us to remember that trusting in you is always right. That by faith in you, we ultimately win it all. That by faith in you, we need to step out and walk across the land. By faith in you, we need to build our altars and take our altars and our worship of you wherever we go in our lives. Father, be with our nation. Please send a revival in our midst, in our churches. Help us to make the correct stands in loving ways. Help us to change the world that we live in. It's in Christ's name I pray. Amen. Before we... uh, had the invitation. I want to remind the men, if you were not here last week during this invitation, why not come pick up one of these rocks just to remind you that you need to be a spiritual leader in your home. You need to have 
an altar, your worship of God active in your life and in the life of your family. If you weren't here last week to do that, I invite you to do it this week. And men especially, I, I think we need to take it upon ourselves to be leaders. I was really encouraged last week. We talked about it in our small group last Sunday night. We, we had as many men maybe as I've ever seen in the altar here at day three coming up and praying and picking up one of these rocks. Hey, if you meant business with God, we can change the world with that many people. You can change your family. You can change the place where you work. You can change this church. You can change our communities. We can change a whole bunch for God's glory if you meant business with that. As we have the invitation today, I really feel like today's a time not for you to think, well, but I came up and prayed last week. Today's a new day. And I think we, not just the men, but I think today's a really good day to pray for our nation, to pray for our country. I know it's hard, I know it's tough because you're afraid of being tagged with a certain tag. I I wrestle sometimes even on Facebook because I'm afraid I'm going to say too much or say it in the wrong way, but I want to tell people the, the, the truth about things. And man, I actually wrestle like during the Supreme Court decision on marriage and things like that. And some people put up their their profile picture with the rainbow gay colors over top of it. I in my in myself, I want to say, defriend, <laughs> unfriend. But I had to recognize I needed to try and preserve the relationship to where maybe I could impact them in some way. Aren't you concerned about our world? Aren't you a little bit like Lot? Your soul is vexed by what you see taking place all around you. Instead of living that type of existence, why don't we, why don't we do something about it? Why don't we pray and ask God to change it? Why don't we take steps to change it? You see, it happens by leading people to Christ. That's why we'll change our world one life at a time. So I invite you during this invitation, not just some men, but anyone. Why not, why not come and let's pray for our, for our nation? Please stand. Thanks for listening to this sermon audio production from Day 3 Church. We pray that it has ministered to you. For more information about our location, service times, or other sermon podcasts, please visit us online at day3church.org. Day 3 Church. Experience a new day in your life.